Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. We're seeing more stability in mortgage rates this week, but they've settled at a level that's several points higher than just a few months ago, and the fallout continues. Today, my guest is managing editor James Kleiman to discuss rates and costs to originate and what companies are doing to adapt. In some cases, that means cutting costs through layoffs, while others, including UWM, are offering competitive pricing to gain market share. James, welcome back to the podcast. Is Eric good to be with you? Great to have you. I know you're feeling a little under the weather, so I so appreciate you jumping on. Um, you still sound great, so uh, I think we're going to have a great episode. We do, you know, we have a lot to talk about as normal. So one of the things was more layoffs this week. Tell us about that. Yeah. So at JP Morgan Chase, the other shoe dropped. You know, it's it's something that they hinted at. Uh, in the last earnings report they had uh, a few months back, um, you know they, they talked a lot about the cyclical changes and, and you know how difficult a mortgage business is when when you know rates are higher than than they have been in in the past. And uh, so it, it looks like they have uh, laid off somewhere around a thousand workers, and. Uh, it does affect different divisions within the bank, but it also comes just two months after Wells Fargo, which is, of course, the top depository mortgage lender in the country, also cut hundreds of jobs in their home lending business. So I, I think it's fair to say that people saw this coming. You know, JP Morgan Chase is the fifth biggest mortgage originator in the country, and its mortgage business shrank in the first quarter. Uh, and that was really before a lot of the very, very big hikes in rates started to come in. So they, they did, I think it was something like 25 billion, give or take, in origination volume in between January to March. And that was down 41% compared to the prior quarter. And so, you know, they haven't released their earnings yet for the second quarter, but my guess is they're going to be much worse than that. And banks are very quick to make cuts when business isn't good. So, I think we're going to see a lot more of this, not just at the depositories like J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, but we're going to see this at the non-banks, and we already have at a lot of them. So, just another sign that you know this is a, a cyclical industry, and it's driven in large part by rates, and it's going to expand and contract based on you know how many mortgages they can possibly originate and make money on. Absolutely. And we're going to get to rates here in just a second. But it reminds me when you talked about Wells Fargo, not only did they lay off already, but um, in their earnings call last week, I believe, or uh, last week, you you covered a story that, um, you know, more layoffs are probably coming. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> some of their, their executives were at some conferences in New York over the last few weeks, and they've been fairly candid and more candid than I would have expected about some of the changes that they're already starting to make regarding home lending and their mortgage business. And so they talked a little bit about uh, the scandal that Bloomberg first reported on uh, regarding uh, refis to black homeowners being at a much lower rate than the industry average. They talked about compliance and uh, and the cost of, of running a mortgage business being higher than it used to be. And it's not as profitable. They, they don't think it's going to be 
as uh, big a part of their overall operation as as it was in the past. And so, you know, we're, we're talking about one of the biggest mortgage lenders in America. To some extent, it sounds like they, they kind of laid some of the blame on on some of their uh, challenges at, at the uh, the footboard of the FHFA and Fannie and Freddie, et cetera. Uh, but the takeaway here is Wells Fargo is going to be shrinking home lending to the extent that, uh, you know, we, we've seen already, you know, they're no longer the biggest lender in America and they haven't been in quite some time. Does that mean they're going to be number five, number 10, number 15, number 20? They're always going to be a presence. Like they're not getting rid of mortgage lending or, or most of the products that they currently sell. But I don't think that it's going to be as big a part of their business as, you know, them being in the top five. I think we're going to start to slowly see them fall back to the kind of the more middle of the pack. As you said, I mean, we've seen this with the non-banks too, but it is, it's striking to me because Wells Fargo used to be the biggest in the country, even when there were lots, you know, not even that long ago, when I joined Housing Wire, for sure, they were the biggest in the in the country, the biggest mortgage lender. And they'd already pulled back at that point after the financial crisis. So interesting to see how the depositories are doing it. But to your point, no one's really immune at this point. I mean, it is it is a cyclical business. It depends on mortgage rates. So So let's get into that a little bit. Last week was just kind of a freak out for everybody, including me, someone who is buying and selling a home, trying to lock in a rate. Let me just be honest, um, locked in a rate last week. And I'm like, well, maybe that wasn't the best thing, but I do have to close on this house pretty quick. So, um, but you know, what are we seeing on rates? Yeah, I, I have never been so happy to have a mortgage locked in at 275 <laughs> uh, for the next 29 years or so. Uh, so what we saw over the last week is is what a lot of People who, who do this for a living predicted, you know, the the storm really occurred between the Friday in which the CPI numbers came out and they showed that inflation was at 8.6%, uh, which was higher than, than they had anticipated. And that Wednesday, when the Fed uh, disclosed what the, the rate hike would be, which of course we now know was 75 basis points. So a lot of that turmoil, a lot of that fear all happened kind of within that time frame, and the following day, you know, we, we definitely saw rates were still around the six mark, um, and and we're talking about borrowers that have good credit, that have pretty standard finances, you know, W two borrowers, nothing too complicated, nothing uh, too exotic. Uh, we're in the sixes, and we've seen that start to go down a little bit. We've seen that the MBS market has stabilized. We've seen that rates are depending on who you are, what your credit profile looks like, how much house you're trying to buy. Uh, we're looking in like the high fives, the, the mid to high fives, depending on also how many points you want to buy down, right? So it is better. Um, most of the people I spoke to uh, around the uh, the Fed's rate hike last week said they thought that rates would probably stick around the five and a half, five point seven five 5.75 range, at least until the Fed meets again in July. And that's really what we're seeing bear out so far. So, you know, it, it also means that probably some of the pricing was baked in, right? Some of that fear uh, has, has already been sorted into the pricing on the secondary market. And now, you know, we're looking at a period of stability. So I, this is probably a decent time to, to lock. Uh, I, I don't think rates are going to get much lower. I guess they could drop a bit, but, you know, inflation is still not under control. It's not going to be under control for for a while now, certainly not while there's a, a war going on and sending the energy markets into, you know, 
into all sorts of places. And we're, we're going to see additional rate hikes as well. So the raw cost of borrowing is going to go up. And I'm just going to put in a, a shameless plug here for our Mortgage Rate Center, Housing Wire Mortgage Rate Center, which, you know, it it's updated daily based on data from uh, Optimal Blue, the MBA, and the Freddie Mac survey. So I think that that's yep. a, a, a great resource for people if they want to go there. Um, just thought I'd say that. But yeah, the rates conversation is, is one of the most impactful and we're keeping an eye on it uh, regularly. I think it's great to just see some stabilization, right? Just so if, if we all know what this is sort of the, where it's going to, this is the range it's going to be in. Because I think when that uh, uh, inflation data came in and the consumer data came in, really people were like, could it be seven? Could it be eight? And, you know, it, it felt like we were about to go back to the 1970s, or at least a lot of people felt that way. And and that would be very, very bad for our industry, most of the people in our industry. Especially given that housing prices now are so much higher proportionate to to income than they were in the 1970s, you know, and, and debt levels in general were, were not what they are. So, you know, for, for the tens of millions of millennials out there, if, if you see the 1970s inflation plus the, you know, the 20. 20s, whatever this era we're calling, uh, you know, home prices, that's that's really, really, really hard to manage. It really is. And I mean, really, the only the only reason that could even happen, those home prices could go up so much was because we were seeing such, you know, low mortgage rates that people could be like, oh, it doesn't, you know, it's fine. Yeah, I can still afford that. I can afford that. And all of a sudden, it's like, I cannot afford that. <laughs> so... Yeah, for, for a lot of people, it's kind of a game of musical chairs, and, and especially if you're in a really hot housing market. Like, like imagine you're a, a borrower or, or a buyer, prospective buyer in the Denver area, or you know, even where you are, sir, in Dallas. You know, trying to buy a home, and let's say you don't have, you know, a hundred k plus job, and you don't have the ability to to maybe tap retirement if you have to, or family, or you don't inherit, you know, and grandma um, is, is no longer with us, then you're competing against. 40, 50 other buyers in some cases, because there's such a lack of inventory. And then some of them get weeded out. But if you don't have kind of, you know, the the cash, if you don't have some of those uh, you know, benefits from family, then rates hit and you just, there's no way you could afford, you know, a home for, let's say three bedrooms. You're now looking at like a studio apartment at a condo building somewhere, right? That's, that's uh, it's tough. You know, we're we're going to see hundreds of thousands of people who are priced out. And, you know, this doesn't help the inventory situation at all as, as far as like new builds, because home builders, as soon as prices, as soon as mortgage rate starts to rise like this, they pull back. And I understand why, because if you're in the build, uh, middle of building a home and you put down some money for, you know, to be under contract with the builder or whatever, and, and it takes a year to do it. And it, you know, even in the last two months, right, you, you've seen a 2% increase in the, in the cost of um, your rate on that home, what you could afford in that nice new home, you know, two months ago or six months ago or whatever, if it's taking so long, is just not doable. So you are seeing a ton of cancellations. Yeah, you can't forecast, you know, a year down the road into all the models. And I, we are working on a story right now. Uh, and, and the lead to the story, the, the introduction is about a, a mortgage banker out in California. He's in a pretty Tony area in San Jose. And he had a borrower who's looking at a new build. And I can't. I can't even like fathom what a new build in San Jose, California, <laughs> right? almost cost like 
like you must have to hand them like your internal organs is like collateral <laughs> to do it. Like I, I don't even know how, how that's even achievable. But but anyway, the, the point being here, when he got quoted in 2021, March of 2021, and went under contract, you know, I mean, we're talking like probably about half the cost that it would be now. And so the house is getting closer to completion and he's looking at his wallet and thinking, there's no way I can swing this. You know, I, I don't know how many people would be able to, you know, account for a doubling in in your pricing. It's just, and, and that's true on the supply side as well. You know, the home builders, I know that they have held some supply back because they had so much demand. Um, and now it's it's tricky because they're, they'll release additional supply, but into a market where there's much less demand. Whether that hits at equilibrium, I, I think we still have to wait and see. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, the punch bowl has been taken away, so to speak. It's it's no longer a great environment for, for most people. Most businesses that, that are in the housing, you know, kind of mortgage ecosystem are, are seeing a lot of a lot of risk that wasn't really baked in at the time. We're seeing a lot of these tech companies or software, you know, sort of, uh, you know, kind of like adjacent. I, they always like to call themselves tech companies, but but then you ask them what they do and they're like, oh, we write mortgages or oh, we're actually a home builder or oh, we, uh, you know, we're, we're like a real estate broker. You're not a tech company. You are you are adjacent, right? You have some tech. It's not the same thing. Uh, but anyway, they're, they're having trouble now as well because, you know, all that cheap venture capital money that flowed in, all that private equity money that was chasing returns, all the institutional capital that was looking for a home, it's not going to do them anymore. You know, nobody is looking to make, you know, their next billion dollars on on a startup in, in the housing space. It's it's going to be a really, really difficult year, maybe two years for these companies that had easy money, easy access, that were able to grow and their investors would tolerate big losses if they could gain market share. And so similar to the buyer out there who's been looking for a home and, uh, you know, the they didn't get a chair when the music stopped. I think you're going to see a lot of the same problems for some of these companies. And, and the layoffs are really just the first step, right? We only know so much through layoffs. You know, we, we don't know about the corporate governance. We don't know about the challenges uh, that, that we hear in board meetings or, or uh, that get bubbled through in internal Slack channels. But it's, it's going to be a really, really rocky time for a lot of these companies. And I think that also shows, you know, during during difficult periods, there is often innovation because there has to be, you know, there's there's a lot more sweat equity when when the actual equity is taken away. Agreed. And, you know, one of the areas that I think is going to be interesting to look at is um, cost to originate. Right. So um, wonder how you know that has just risen so much. We used to write a story every month on, you know, the cost to originate is, you know, Ridiculous. And that's like officially it was you know, like five thousand, then it was six thousand, and then sixty five hundred, and then you know, the last time we wrote it, I think it was like ten, ten something. Uh it's it's always higher. It never goes down. Has it ever gone down? I don't think it has. Uh it it does over several months, you know, it, it'll kind of trend down a little bit and then go up. But you're right. So if you look over the last couple of years, I mean it just is up and up. And so you go, you know, at what point does you know, hopefully some of those innovations that people can take advantage of will will come. But I also think that in, in a high volume environment of the last couple of years, I mean, I think you care less about that because just it's a volume thing. So like get it done, throw bodies at it, throw whatever. And maybe you're not making the best use of your tech because you don't even have time to onboard people onto the tech or maybe you're not, you haven't adopted it the way you ha- should or whatever. I feel like that's often the case where it's just like it's a volume game. So 
Um, but now maybe people will be looking more like what can their tech do that they're not utilizing it? Is there other tech that could help them? Um, so it'll be interesting to watch that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also interesting because you look at the cost to originate and you look at the, the breakdown of the pie, right? Like like what what is uh, is the biggest cost in terms of the cost to originate? And it's always personnel, right? It's always like 70% or whatever of, of the pie. Um, and that number is going to go down. We know that because volume is going down, which means there are fewer people that are busy enough to, uh, you know, to, to make that a smart math problem for them. And and so maybe technology grows from, you know, 10% to, to 20%. I mean, that, that would theoretically um, be a massive change in how the industry processes mortgages. And, and we've, we've talked for so long about kind of the promise of all of these technologies coming to root. But if you're making hand over fist during the boom and it's in some ways just easier to get a bunch of people to do the work, to hire them and then, you know, everything stops and and then now is probably the time that they actually look at, do we need a new process? Do we need a different technology to handle this part? Or, you know, do, do we need more automatic, automated underwriting for this section? Do we need, you know, all these people who, who had, you know, done this because our process was set up for humans to do it? Maybe now is the time that they, they reassess, you know, whether that's uh, the best way to do it. I also think, you know, uh, as those costs to originate uh, go up, I mean, those get passed on to the borrowers. And we see that, you know, FHFA and others are really looking at that and going, okay, well, what is it that we can do? And so we see um, some moves from Washington saying, okay, here's how we're going to cut costs to consumers in this process. And that's title and that's appraisal. So we see them really uh, jumping on the bandwagon of, you know, more appraisal waivers or also just, um, you know, desktop appraisals. I know that um, we have... Georgia Cromry, who is who is really running down the appraisal story and what some of the changes are that we might see there. Yeah, I mean that's a great point, Sarah. You know, title. I, I hear a lot of complaints about whether title is actually um, a good value for the consumer. Uh, many people believe that it is totally unnecessary, and and that only pays out. You know, there are only so many claims on title a year. It's not. It's not many. It is not like. You're using your medical insurance where it's almost a guarantee that you're going to need it or or another form, you know, car insurance, I, I think, you know, is maybe even a little more applicable. But but yeah, th- those are high costs, right? That's a few thousand dollars right there, right? Appraisal, we're talking a few hundred dollars, right? Minimum. It can be higher depending on where you are. And if you have somebody in a room in, uh, you know, some nondescript cubicle office in Chicago who is doing, you know, the appraisal by desktop, instead of having somebody two counties away, uh, you know, plan a whole trip around it and have to build the infrastructure of their business into the pricing, you know, that could represent a savings. It's it's not going to account for, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars per loan. But, you know, I, I think there is reason to think that that could represent a big savings. And it's also not just a big savings for the consumer, but this would be great for Annie and Freddie, right? This would be great for the lenders too. Like they have to bear those costs as well. Listen, I had an appraiser at my house this morning and um, you can imagine how I grilled him. I was like, so tell me about this. Tell me about this. Poor guy. I had to let him go at some point, but um, you know, really I, I, you see that and to the title insurance part, you know, we have raised that question clearly the some of the regulators saying they would accept um, attorney opinion letters is sort of a um, 
shot across the bow. But then we also had, you know, the um, past president of the American Land Title Association wrote an op-ed that's on our site right now talking about why she thinks, and obviously she has a dog in this fight, but why she thinks that it's it's a value. And, and she would say the opposite is that um, the reason it doesn't pay out uh, is because they do all the work on the front end to make sure that it's a uh, it's there. So it's a it's a debate that we are definitely looking at. But I think that it's it speaks to the fact that as those those costs rise, again, you're just hurting affordability. Right. I mean, as the origination costs rise, that's being passed on the consumer who also is dealing with super high rate, uh, you know, higher rates and super high home prices. So at some point, some of those things have to give. Yeah, they'll need relief in some form. You know, I, I think we're, we're when we talk about appraisal and title and, and affordability, we're really eating at the margins of the overall picture, yep. right? Like we should also be talking about uh, commission rates for real estate agents. You know, two and a half percent is basically the standard on for the seller, two and a half for each agent, right? You know, and that's five percent in some markets. I think you could very easily make the argument that that is not a good value if you list it and it's you know under contract in a day. And they waived all contingencies. You didn't really do a lot of work for that 5%, right? So, you know, in other situations, that, that is not necessarily the case. But I, I think we, we do have to have a, a more thorough examination of costs because affordability is at its lowest level in recorded history for the American housing market. And we don't build enough homes. They're too expensive. The existing ones, we have demographic issues, right? Like, you don't have an incentive to sell unless you're you're really... Uh, in a tough spot because then you have to buy in the same market that is, you know, in a really tough place. You can't build, uh, you know, granny flats in in most of the country. If, you know, we have in laws. I have in laws. Uh, they're getting older. You know, they're they're approaching their seventies. Would love to have, uh, maybe not every day. Love to have them living in, in the same property, but it would be nice. You know, we would have childcare on occasion when, when my kid gets sick and then I get sick, right? You know, I mean, there, there are so many other offsets that make it worthwhile, but we just have so many systemic issues in the housing market, you know, that, that make affordability in the aggregate so much worse than it has been in decades. So these are, um, you know, really difficult problems individually, but collectively they're, they're, they seem insurmountable. You know, let's talk about a company that um, is very aggressive on dropping rates, right? And that's UWM. So they, this week, announced uh, they dropped rates 50 to 100 basis points um, across all loan types. Tell me about that story. Yeah, it's it's kind of in some ways the same old story from UWM. You know, they're using their position as the market leader to to really uh, engage in, in some, maybe pricing or is too strong, a phrase, but they're looking to drop their pricing to gain market share. And it is a strategy that a lot of big lenders and big companies in general do uh, because they can take some losses because they have a big cash position because, you know, they can kind of set the market and they can originate loans more cheaply than their competitors. And so I think, you know, if, if you've been following the wholesale space, uh, not unexpected, they've done this you know, here and there, they, every few months, they have some sort of a big pricing promotion to lure brokers in. And, and this is the latest one. And uh, I don't know how successful it will be, but um, they did, I, I want to say they did a like a two-month price match that might have just ended. Maybe that's what this is uh, sort of. I think a, it's, yeah, I think it was June June 30th that was going to end, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but but they're really trying to to beat back their, their big competitors. And, and right now that's Rocket, Rocket Pro TPO. 
which of course is the wholesale arm of, of Rocket Mortgage, Rocket Companies. And the two of them have been you know, going at it head to head on pricing for quite some time, really, since the so-called ultimatum that Matt Ishbia issued in Gosh, it's getting to be a long time now. I guess it was like March of 2021. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a moment where, where wholesale believes that, that that some of these companies can not only take brokers that are affiliated with Rocket or UWM, right, uh, because of that ultimatum, but but also lure people to the broker space that had previously been in retail. And so we've been hearing for a long time that that it's coming any day now. You know, some of these big LOs that are making tons of money at guaranteed rate or cross country or guild or wherever that they're going to move, that they're going to finally open up their own broker shops and, uh, you know, they'll see the light. Right. Um, and so I, I think part of this is, is kind of priming uh, that what they believe is an inevitability. Uh, you know, if you make the pricing a lot more attractive, if I'm an LO who works at a lender, I have a limited suite of products to sell that, you know, are only from that one lender. And then I look around and I say, wait, I could shave 75 basis points, 100 basis points. If I become a broker and I do business with this company, that's a pretty attractive proposition. So I, I think this is really part of UWO's larger strategy of, of really being aggressive and, and trying to, to create pricing challenges for competitors that, that they know their largesse, you know, can stomach, even if it is at par or maybe even a slight loss or just a slight gain. Um, you know, they, they can do it. Whereas others, if they're trying to shave, you know, that much on their pricing, they're going to be way in the red and it's, it's just not something they can do. They just, they don't have the operations. They don't have the structure built for it. So it's, it's smart. And, uh, it's also not unexpected. Really interesting. Thanks so much for being on today. I know we've got so much looking forward. Do you want to just preview uh, one or two things that um, you're expecting the next uh, week? Yeah, we, we are running down kind of a uh, winners and losers of the higher rate environment. So Connie Kim, one of our reporters, is looking at, you know, who's affected by this most and, and who in, in any market, you know, certain conditions are in a favor, um, certain types of, of buyers or sellers or, you know, participants and others will actually thrive in those conditions. And so we're, we're looking at a, a David Attenborough style uh, winners and losers of uh, the, the new changing rate environments. So that story is coming out. We have um, a few potential breaking news items that I can't share too much about right now because we haven't fully confirmed them, but uh, I, I would expect uh, to to be posting some stories over the next few days uh, about some large lenders making additional mass layoffs. And then uh, we've got Gathering of Eagles coming up for Real Trends. So we'll have a bunch of content that is kind of dedicated to that. And I would certainly suggest that anyone who's interested, check out the, the Real Trends 1000 list, which dropped, you know, a little over a week ago and uh, is is kind of the Bible for uh, real estate agent rankings and brokerage rankings as well. It's going to have, you know, a lot of potential sources of leads, right? It's a tough environment. And, you know, who's in your area who, who might be a, a top agent that you can do business with? Uh, that might be something worth uh, looking into. We have lots of exciting stuff coming up. Really looking forward to reading that, especially some of those breaking news items that, like you said, we can't say too much about. But um, as always, great to have you on. If people want to um, send some of those tips or or be a source, how do they reach out to you, James? Yeah, please reach out to me directly at james at hwmedia.com. Thanks, James. I know our, our listeners are often our sources and uh, great to have you on the show as always. Thanks. 
How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.